cool. That was our church. Did you notice that? From the drone view, right? Wow, thanks for being excited about that. It's awesome. <clears throat> we drone just for you, right? Hey, how you doing? Good? You look good. You smell fantastic. It's good to see people alive and in person here on campus. Also know we got a lot of folks joining us online. So welcome to First Burleson. We're glad that you're here. It's an exciting day. It's an exciting stage of life. It's an exciting season, whatever you want to call it. There are a lot of great things happening. Uh, as Sam mentioned, I'm very excited about this new sermon series, The Church Deployed. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Acts and, and about the, the early church. Some people call it the New Testament church, whatever, just kind of a, a, a transitioning of the church of God. And uh, we're going to learn a lot about what it can teach us and a lot of similarities, maybe more similarities than ever before. But what, I want to start off just to say a, a couple of good things, right? I just want you to remember this pandemic is temporary, okay? Can I get a say that? Amen, right? But the church of God is eternal. The things of God are eternal. This pandemic will end. We'll find a cure or something will happen or it'll just disappear, right? But it will end. We, we know that. We just don't know when. But we know that the things of God last forever. And that's our focus. That's what really matters. That's kind of the, the idea behind this whole message, understanding what it means to be the church. I mean, our world has changed, right? We shop differently. We go to restaurants differently. Um, I'm glad that Michael Glenn likes his mask. I hate him. <laughs> I hate, now he, he looks good in his, but I hate these masks. But, you know, trying to take care of each other, and uh, they are the great equalizer. I haven't brushed my teeth in five months. I don't have to. You don't know. I got a mask on, right? This goatee just popped up like overnight. You don't know that I had that, right? It was all covered up. Thank you, by the way. Yeah. Um, but so it's just weird. Even how we do church is different. This thing has impacted every area of our life. And so we've been asking the question a lot as a staff over the past five months. Or so what is church? I think that's a great question today. What is church? Well, the biblical definition of church hasn't changed. The Greek word ekklesia means the gathering of the called out ones. Okay, so that original term for church, the definition of church, wasn't about a building, wasn't about a program, it was about the called out ones gathering together. So called out of what? That's the next question. Well, we were called out of darkness into light. We were called out of death into life, out of hopelessness into hope, out of loneliness into community. We were called out of all the bad stuff in this world and called into all the goodness of God, Amen. the inheritance the family, the connection, the salvation, the hope. We have been called out. So when we gather together, it is a gathering of God's people defined as the church. We say that all the time, right? The church is not the building. We are the church. We have been forced to live that now. Perhaps God has allowed this pandemic I'm not the prophet nor the son of a prophet, but what I see, some things indicating that God has allowed this pandemic, and we know he always redeems everything he allows to wake up the church, especially here in America. I believe we have become complacent. We've become comfortable. We've become status quo. We've become, we've become okay with the way things are. Remember we used to talk about going to church? 
And we haven't been able to do that for a while, right, for some. We've just started opening back up. In fact, you go to Psalm 122. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You read in the New Testament, we're coming out of Judaism where the temple had the Holy of Holies. That's where the presence of God resided. That's where only the high priest was able to go in. And he spoke and sacrificed on behalf of the people. That's where he met with God and came out and gave a prophecy to the people because he'd been with God. The Bible in the New Testament says, now you are that temple of the Holy Spirit as a Christ follower. So can I say this? This place that we gather at 317 West Ellison, it is not the house of God. It is provided by God. It is where God's people gather. You are the house of God. So my hope for you today is that you will begin to reimagine your life. Actually, what I want you to do is reimagine your house. I hope today that you will see that your house, where you live, where you reside, is the church on your street. As we rethink what church is and what it has become and what it's going to be in the future, this is the image that I want to present to you. Again, we've talked a lot about what is this, and we are actually looking 18 months to 24 months down the road, imagining things if, as if they were still this way. Still wearing masks, still social distancing, still people scared, still people isolating, no vaccine discovered. So we're thinking like that because I believe churches that wait for a cure are, are going to be left behind and probably won't make it. So we are being proactive. We're imagining what it would look like if the church looks like it does now 24 months from now. So what do we do? How do we do it? How do we continue to be what God's called us to be? How do we continue to reach those far from God? How do we continue to help each other grow in the ways of Christ? How do we continue to minister to our community and now the world as a church? And I got to tell you, a lot of people are shaking their head. Oh, this is so bad. This is so terrible. I, I am super pumped. <laughs> I am so excited about these new opportunities God is giving us. And we've got to see it that way. This is an opportunity to be the church that God created us to be. Not a holy huddle to where we gauge our spiritual maturity on going to church on Sunday morning. Not asking the question, did you go to church? But asking the question, are you the church? Have you been the church? Are you doing church, right? Because you and I are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our houses are sanctuaries for our communities, for our street. You are responsible for the people on your street to make sure they have had an opportunity to know, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is your job. That is my job to make sure. So that means we gotta get out, we gotta connect, we gotta ask people. So that's kind of the motivation behind this whole series the church deployed. We are, we are talking about what it means now to be an online church with a physical location. It's changed our terminology, it's changed our perspective. I saw a banner on a church the other day that I want to adopt. We are one church in hundreds of locations. Right now we're having about 35% of our normal attendance show up on campus on Sunday morning. But on an average week, we will have at least 3,000 connections 
to our online service. Now, one connection may have 10 people in it. We don't know exactly how many people are at that connection, but we know at least those, at least that many, plus a lot more, probably two to three times more than that connection. So we are no longer gauging success, whether this was right or wrong, this is the way we did it, about how many people show up on campus on Sunday morning. It used to always be about people in seats, how many baptisms, and how big is your budget. That used to be how we gauge success in the church life. Not saying it was right, this is the way we did it. Now we're talking influence. Now we're talking impact. How many people did we influence with our online service during the week? Some people aren't gonna watch it on Sunday morning. They, they enjoy Bedside Baptist, so they're staying there listening to Reverend Sheets. <laughs> Get that? Okay. Otherwise, they're sleeping in, right? Okay, well, oh, that's so bad, that's so terrible. No, let's just see it as an opportunity. They're watching it later. Some of our life groups are watching the online recording with their life group on Tuesday night at their home or at their patio or out in a pasture. We're going to watch that and have life group together. We have got to rethink how we do things now. This has forced us in that, but I think it's awesome. I love new things. I love new opportunities. And rather than be a church that just trembles and becomes fearful of what's going on, let's be a church that is tackling it head on and being proactive because it is an opportunity of God. Our approach to evangelism used to be a come and see if we can just get people to church, then they'll meet Jesus. If we can just get them on our campus and just get them to a service, just get them to a fellowship, then they'll meet Jesus. That is not biblical. Look at Acts. Look at the passage we're going to study today. The method of evangelism, according to the Bible, is a go and tell. The idea of build it and they will come, pfft, no way. No, they won't. They've proven that. But we are sent out. We are the church deployed. We have left the building. I wore this shirt on purpose, all right? Plus, it's 110 degrees outside. Because this is not the church. You and I are the church. So if you have your Bible, look at Acts chapter 8. Let me give you a little background of what's happening here. If you go to Acts 1.8, and don't flip through here. I'm just going to kind of run through this for you. Acts 1.8 is where Jesus ascended into heaven, and he told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And he told them, but wait here in Jerusalem until you have received power. They received power, what is known at Pentecost. People had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the, the feast and festival of Pentecost. The disciples are there together. You remember the story? Tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit descended on them landed on them. They began to speak in other languages. This was way before Rosetta Stone. They had not been studying different languages, but in a moment, in an instant, they were able to speak the language of the people who had gathered there. It was a powerful miracle of God. Peter begins to preach his Pentecostal sermon, his famous Pentecostal sermon. 3,000 people are saved and baptized as a result of hearing the message. Again, people had gathered to Jerusalem from all areas, all cities of, of life, around that area to come and celebrate, and now they were there, a captive audience, and Peter preaches. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. Remember, the Holy Spirit used to reside in the Holy of Holies in the temple. For the first time now, it lives in the hearts and minds of people. The Holy Spirit lives within us, the temple. Peter preaches, 3,000 people are saved. The church, as we call it, the New Testament church is started here, Acts 2.42, we see their strategy. 
they listened to the apostles' teachings. They adored, they desired the apostles' teachings. They met together in their homes. They met together in the temple courts. They broke bread together. They had communion together. They sold their possessions so that no one was in need. This was the beginning of the New Testament church as we see it. It's not the only way to do church, but it's a great model. Then there's a conflict that breaks out, the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews because their widows, one feels like their widows aren't being taken care of. You're showing favoritism towards one, towards the other. God says, all right, I want you to appoint seven men, call seven men out to take care of this need so the apostles can focus on prayer and preaching. This is where some people believe, believe that we got our first deacons. Then Stephen preaches, he's preaching the gospel. He is accused of being blasphemous. He defends himself before the high priest. The high priest sentences him to death. At the end of chapter 7, Stephen, a saint of the Lord, is stoned to death. And guess who's standing there with him? Saul, who becomes Paul the apostle, who wrote 13 books of the 27 books in the New Testament. But he's there. He's holding the coats of those who are throwing the stones at Stephen. He approves of what they are doing. And that's where we pick up in chapter 8, verse 1. And here's that eerie statement, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, later to become Paul, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Here's the first time we see the church scattered. They'd been hanging out in Jerusalem. It was comfortable. They were all together. It was safe. They were new. These were new believers, at least 3,000. We know that there are more. This was a new thing. Jesus was a new thing. It was safer to be in mass. They were leaving the temple. They were leaving Judaism to follow Jesus Christ at great peril. And suddenly a persecution arise, and they begin to spread out. The apostles remain in Jerusalem. The rest of the church is scattered. Okay, let's compare that to today. Now, I don't know that we could claim that COVID-19 is a persecution, but most certainly it has disrupted our world. It has changed everything about us. It has caused us to rethink just about everything, including church. Vacation Bible School, if you've been a part of a Baptist church, this is a huge evangelistic outreach every summer to reach children and their families. This year we couldn't do it here, so guess what we did? We did it in neighborhoods. We handed out over 600 Vacation Bible School kits for people to do in their homes and invite their neighborhood kids and a smaller group to Vacation Bible School. We did youth camp and children camp here on our site rather than going off to a place. Our life groups have been meeting together in homes, in fields, in pastures, in patios, watching the live stream, doing life group together. In other words, we didn't step back and shake our heads, this is so bad, this is so terrible, we have to do this and we can't do that. We kept moving forward. We found new creative ways to do what God has called his church to do. That is to reach those who are far from God and disciple the saved. We have not stopped for one minute Though we didn't invite you to come worship with us for a while, ministry was still going on almost 24-7 because the needs were piling up so great. This is the kind of church we want to be. We are not going to stick our heads in the sand and, and say how bad things have gotten. We're going to see this as an opportunity to, to be people of the gospel 
to make sure that people know there is only one answer, there's only one cure, it is Jesus Christ. And he loves us, and he cares about us. Again, one church with hundreds of locations all around our community. So we see here that Paul starts going from house to house. Saul goes from house to house, dragging out men and women who are Christ followers. The only thing I really could compare this to, what it must have felt like for those, was was stories I've heard about the Holocaust. Several months ago, Robin and I went to Washington, D.C., and we got to tour the Holocaust Museum. You talk about a heavy experience. Dude, it was like, I I I need some happy music when I get out of there, right? I need some Bluebell fast. Because, man, it was just dark. I mean, to see the pictures, the videos, read the stories of just the total disregard for human life. It's heavy. You, you have to be ready as best you can to go through that. But same kind of deal. People dragged out of their homes. But this time, they were dragged out of their homes by other Jews, by their own nationality. But as I, as I read about the fear that existed during the Holocaust, I imagine that fear was existing in the lives of believers here. As they were being dragged out and thrown into prison, and like Stephen, many of them were killed. And I read this statement this past week. It says, persecution does to the church what wind does to seed. It scatters it and produces a great harvest. Persecution does what wind does to seed. It scatters it, but it produces a great harvest. I get a blog from Jim Dennison, a theologian, teacher, pastor, and he was talking about a group of pastors in Cuba that Jim and some other pastors in America were praying for because Cuba was under great persecution, and they were praying for God to end the persecution. Those pastors in Cuba heard about it, and they sent word back to Jim in this group and said, please stop praying for God to end the persecution because our witness is being strengthened. In the midst of this persecution, the witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is being strengthened because of it. And then he said this, and we want you to know that the pastors here in Cuba are praying that the same thing happens in America. (laughs) Stop doing that, (laughs) right? What? Are you kidding me? No, I like comfort. I like ease. I like freedom. But I mean, look, right? Where have you seen the church explode? It's China, where it's been underground. It's been in the Ukraine, where it was against. People are against it. The government's against it. Africa, the church has exploded. Wherever it is persecuted, the church explodes. Whenever it becomes ineffective, it's when there's no pressure on it. So maybe that needs to be our prayer. God, bring persecution against your church in America. You ready for that one? But what's the goal, right? What's the end? Why in the world are we here? So I can go to church? No. So you can be the church. Look at verse 4. Those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. There it is. There's the key. The church was in Jerusalem, somewhat comfortable, in inner fighting, right, between the widows, inner, inner turmoil, which happens in church. But God said, all right, enough of that. Enough of comfort. 
enough of complacency, I want you out. And as they went out, here's the key, they preached the word. As they went back to their hometown, as they went back to Judea and Samaria, they preached the word. Philip, verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. You understand the great prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. The story of the Good Samaritan highlights that. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Jews believed that God was only for them, certainly not for the Samaritans, who they considered to be half-breeds. Philip went down. Verse 6, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, so there was great joy in the city. I bet there was. <laughs> Our God is a God of miracles, amen? And Philip goes and begins to preach. He begins to heal people. He cast out demons, and people pay attention. Yeah, no doubt they paid attention. Something crazy is going on. What's happening? So the church is scattered, and now the gospel is mobilized which is what it is always intended to be. Never to be kept in a holy huddle, never to be kept in a reservoir, to be outspread to the ends of the earth, Jesus said. And now we are getting close to that possibility. Because of the internet, we are almost able to reach every end of the earth. The Bible says once the gospel is preached to the ends of the earth, then Jesus comes. Are we in the end times? I don't know. We're getting closer to that day, no doubt. Are you ready? They preached the word wherever they went. They started house churches. The truth of the matter is, in this COVID experience, we have been doing house church. You need to be in a life group. I stress this. We stress this all the time. If you're not in a life group, let me know. I will help you find a life group. You have got to be in a life group. If you want community, if you want connection, you have got to be in a life group. I, I can say to you, hey, you guys need to pray for so-and-so, right? And you might not know so-and-so. But if you're in a life group and you say, hey, you need, we need to pray for so-and-so, you know so-and-so. <laughs> That's a terrible name, but you know who that person is, right? You know what they need, you know how to pray for them. You're in community. You read the Word of God together, you struggle with the Word of God together. You build community. We need to see our life groups now as small churches where communion is happening, community is happening, baptism is happening, salvation is happening, discipleship is happening. You, you need to imagine your life group as a small church. This is the church of the future. Hey, I look forward to a day when we can all get back together, but I don't know that it will ever happen. I mean, honestly, as a pastor, I, I don't know that everybody's going to come back when we're able to come back. I'm afraid that some people have become so comfortable to sleeping in on Sunday morning that they're gonna keep that up. They're gonna say, hey, I can just watch church online. Why would I go to a group of people and risk getting sick? I think there's gonna be people that fall into that category. I pray not, but I just, I imagine that that will happen. All right, so what? You don't feel comfortable coming here ever again, but are you gonna be the church on your street? Again, we have to rethink. This is not all there is. Sunday morning is vital and it's important, but there's so much more involved in being a church than just going to church. You get what I'm saying? You feel me? All right. Hang on. I need a sip of water. Hey, stay hydrated, would you?
So we had the gospel mobilized. I see this as kind of a guerrilla warfare approach. In case you don't know what guerrilla warfare is, let me read a definition. It is a form of irregular warfare in which small groups of combatants, such as paramilitary personnel, armed civilians, or irregulars, use military tactics including ambushes, sabotage, raids, petty warfare, hit-and-run tactics, and mobility to fight a larger and less traditional military. We are in a battle, people. A battle for the souls of people. The lives of those that you live next to, you go to school with, you work with, you play sports with. We are in a battle for their lives for eternity. We are in a spiritual warfare. Every day you're in a battle. Jesus has won the war, right? We, we fight in victory, but we still fight because this is a battle going on. And Satan is just looking to ruin you. So don't become complacent and don't act like he doesn't notice you because he does. If you go back to Acts 2.42, we see that new strategy of this church. We see radical hospitality. I believe that this is the tactic of the future for First Burleson, for the church at large to reach those who are far from God. Radical hospitality. Again, you need to see your house as the church on your street. Just, ima- just picture your house right now in your mind. Just, you see it? You know where you live, right? You know what it looks like. I know you, gotta, you need to mow the front yard, but just, just imagine your house right now, right? Now just picture it with a steeple on it, <laughs> with a beam of light shining out into the darkness. That's your house. You're the church. You reside there. Spirit of God is there. You have been placed there. Have you ever imagined that God gave you that house because he wants you to be a witness on that street? Because if you call on Jesus, he has called you to be a witness. 3,000 new believers, what did they know? They didn't have a gospel track. They didn't know the Roman road. They just went out and told what happened to them. Here's your story. What were you like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus? And then how has he changed you? That's your story. People need to know it. People need to hear it. Well, I don't have any crazy, fantastic story. I wasn't saved out of drugs, or I wasn't saved out of a cave, or I wasn't saved, you know. It doesn't matter. Your conversion is just as vital as anyone. Your conversion is just as vital as the Apostle Paul's. God has called you to be his church. Are you ready? Yeah, so Philip goes to the Samaritans, great prejudice, but we see that the Samaritans are welcomed into the church, and that's a cool story. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. I want to stop here, but... Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, is about to introduce us to a man called Simon the Sorcerer. This was pre-Harry Potter, right? So Simon the Sorcerer. And his story really is a story of religion versus conversion. His story is a really in-your-face kind of story for us who say we follow Jesus. So I want to invite you back next week so we can deal with his story because it's going to take some time to unpack. 
But what I want to highlight thinking about next Sunday is his story really reminds us, and what I see that's happening through this pandemic is God is really separating the wheat from the chaff. Does that make sense? You guys know what wheat is? All right, so wheat is grain, right? It's used to make food. You can grind it up and do all kinds of different things with it. But it has an outer shell that you can't eat. It's gross. It's like peanuts. You know, you got those peanuts at the ball game. Remember when you used to go to ball games, right? So you get those peanuts. You don't eat the shell. I knew one guy that ate the shell, but he was weird. But don't eat the shell, right? So you just throw the shell away. Well, that's kind of this. That, I think that's what God is doing to his church. He's taking the wheat, those who are truly committed to him, truly understand what it be, is to be the church. And he's removing those people who just kind of do church because it's church. They're really not a part of the church. They go to church because it feels good and there's certain things they like about the church, but they're, they're not of the church. They're not, they're not one of the family. They've never truly become Christ followers. They like what Jesus has to offer, but they've never surrendered their life to him. I think this is a time God is saying, look, this is, I'm, I'm separating that. It's time to get down to those who really are committed to being the church because I've got something I want to do. I, I sense that's what the Lord is doing. I pray that's what the Lord is doing. It's not about numbers. It's about the committed. It's about being the church. So the challenge I have is that we will begin to think of ourselves, begin to see ourselves as the church deployed. I, I, I pray for the day that we can all come back to, together on campus without fear of the coronavirus. But we are going to plan that that is going to be a mustering of the troops to be encouraged, to praise God together, to be strengthened, to go back out and be deployed into the battlefield, into our neighborhoods. I pray that that is what defines us from this point forward. In the midst of that, we have to care for one another. Some of you guys, I mean, through this whole experience, we've had people die. We've had people born. We've had people lose jobs. We've had people get the virus. We've had people go without. We have people who are afraid. We have people who have isolated, who have quarantined, who still haven't come out. And we are called to care for one another. Yesterday, I don't know, you guys know Don Newberry, Don and Brenda. Don is our pastor to senior adults, used to be president of Howard Payne University, a great, great man, a great minister of the gospel. Their oldest daughter died yesterday. 50 years old, ambulism, got to the hospital downtown, and she died. Two kids, 19, 16 years old. Brandon Evans, police officer, played trumpet in our orchestra in traditional service a couple weeks ago, home alone, just died. Christopher Cass, our executive pastor, on vacation riding motorcycles in New Mexico. Yesterday was in an accident. Hit a Tahoe on, as she turned in front of him. Hit the Tahoe, flipped off the bike onto the street, walked away from it. Diana Croker fought cancer for so long, won her battle in heaven. I know I'm missing some. Life continues, right? Even though it's weird and different, life has continued. We have got to take care of one another. I mentioned those names, Don and Christopher. We need to be blowing up their phone with prayers, encouragement, the dangers of riding a motorcycle, whatever, right? 
I'm going to get flack from that one. When you know somebody's hurting, you need to blow up whatever, their email, their phone, their text, send a homing pigeon, I don't know. Put yard gypsies in their yard. Just go overboard. I say this again. When, somebody, when God brings someone to your mind, call them. Check on them. There's a reason why they popped into your head. I have so many people say, well, you know, I thought about you last week. I meant to call you. Call! Why not? <laughs> why would you not? Let's take care of each other. Let's keep checking on each other. Yeah, this thing is, it is temporary, but it is not over. Let's be the church that strengthens one another. It, it doesn't just happen on Sunday morning. Part of being the church is caring for one another to the point of sacrifice. In Acts, they gave of what they had so that no one was in need. They gave of their possessions. They gave of their time. They continued to meet together. Let's be that kind of church. We're going to be that kind of church. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have deployed us Which honestly means we can risk our reputation. Maybe at some point we risk our job. Maybe at some point we risk our career. We risk persecution. We risk being made fun of. We risk being misunderstood. We risk being uncomfortable. But your word tells us that no matter how much we suffer on this earth, no matter how much we struggle on this planet, none of it compares to the glories and the riches that await for us in the place that you have prepared for us in heaven. May we be your people. Jesus, you died to save us from sin you also died to show us what it takes to follow you. That we must pick up our cross. If we are going to commit to following you, we have to pick up our cross, which means we have to be willing to die to ourself and to everything else. God, I thank you for the COVID-19 opportunity that you've allowed us to experience this. And I am grateful and I thank you that you have led First Burleson to respond in the way that it has. And God, I pray that this is just a beginning. As we understand what it means to be the people of God. You are a God of salvation. You're a God of transformation. When we gave our lives to you, it was just the beginning of our faith journey, of our life with you. Lead us to new heights, God. And God, if it requires persecution to keep your church on track, so be it, God. May we never become complacent or comfortable again.
I make these requests in the power of the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.